If you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 37. I want to walk through about 15 chapters of Genesis with you this morning, so we'll be done right on time. But every end of the year reflection time, I mean, this is the time to reflect. Uh, what happened this last year? How did I do with my family? You know, uh, what are some things that I don't want to repeat? What are some things I do want to repeat? This is that time of year for us as we uh, make resolutions that will break in two weeks, but we're going to make them anyway. Sarah and I always do the, you know, there's just some, some stuff we do at the beginning of every year uh, that kind of refocuses and recenters us on our Lord and Savior and, and what He has for us. You know, our lives should make the world a better place. Uh, you know, my family, we've had a family motto ever since uh, James David was born. Our family motto is we are a family that loves Jesus, we are a family that loves each other. And I make them say Jesus, because you can say, you know, we're a family that loves God, but that can mean anything to anybody. So we're a family that loves Jesus, we're a family that loves each other, and we're a family that wants to make the world a better place. This is the reason that God, now we know Jesus is the light of the world. We know Jesus does it all by his grace, through the power of his spirit. But Jesus uses his People, We're going to Genesis to see the very beginning of this thing that God began to do in the world and how our only one good king makes not only our lives better, but blesses everyone around us at the same time. Uh, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 37. We're going to talk about Joseph, the great, great grandson of Abraham. And we're going to walk through his life and, and we're going to notice how God was with him even in moments and times where it didn't look like God was with him. And I want us to remember that as we take this new year on. Not everything's going to go our way. A lot of good things are going to happen. But not everything's going to go the way that we want it to go. We've got to remember in those moments, we've got to hold our faith tight to our chest and know that Jesus is working, even though it's not the way that we wish it was going. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for your word. We would be lost without your word. We'd be blind, deaf, and dumb without your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Jesus it is in your name we pray this. Give us good moments this morning in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, every Christian said, amen. Chapter 37, and look, we're going to skip around. I ended up skipping entire chapters because it's just too much. It's a big story. It's, I mean, from chapter 37 to chapter 50 is all about the life of Joseph and how God uses Joseph to, to save his people and to get them to Egypt where he's going to grow the people and, you know, all the stuff that God does as he eventually sends a Messiah through this same people, which you and I are beneficiaries of this morning. This is, this is where it, it all begins. And chapter 37 says, Jacob, now we know who Jacob is. Right? There was creation and Adam and Eve and there was a flood and the Tower of Babel. And there was all that great, good history stuff. But eventually God takes this Chaldean guy named Abram and he says, You, I want you to leave your dad's house and I want you to start walking and don't stop until I tell you to stop. That's basically what God says to Abram. So Abram goes out and he, he ends up in Canaan uh, and God says, Okay, stop. This area, look around, take a real good look. 
Because I'm going to make a people out of you, your children and their children and their children. I'm going to make a people called Israel out of you. And your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. And this land is your land where your people are going to live. So Abram goes and he, he's, you know, he's like the rest of us. He follows God, but he makes some mistakes along the way. Uh, they're still fighting over in that part of the world today because of mistakes that Abraham uh, uh, made because he didn't listen to God and took things into his own hands. I hope you guys know what I'm talking about there. But, but God was faithful to Abraham. And he had a son a promised son named Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph is one of those sons. He's the 11th son out of the 12. The only one younger than Joseph is Benjamin, who comes after him. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan, and these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old. Here's the first little clue we have about Joseph as the Bible begins to explain his life to us and what God did through his life. Joseph, we meet him at 17 years old. How many of you in the room, you're 17 years old? Yeah, we got one. How many of you in the room wish you were 17 years old? Yes. 17 is that great, glorious age when you are invincible. You can drive fast, not a care in the world. 17, you just don't know what you don't know. Everything is, everything is awesome. Bones don't hurt. You play sports all day. You never get sore. 17 is awesome. We're going to learn a little later that Joseph is a handsome, well-built, strapping young man. 17 years old, got the whole world at his fingertips. What we know about Jacob is Jacob is, God's blessed Jacob. Jacob is a wealthy man, lots of herds, lots, lots of stuff going on. So Jacob is this 17-year-old kid born to this wealthy father. And what we uh, learn here in a moment is he's one of his dad's favorite kids. So he's the favored kid of a wealthy man, 17 years old. Being 17 years old, he was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah, Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph bought a bad report of them to their father. Now, just a couple little things here. Remember, and I want you to remember this throughout this entire story, they don't have the Bible yet. There was a lot of things that, that God allowed to happen. Jacob had two wives of his own age. We know from Genesis, we know from Jesus' teaching and Paul's teaching, that's not God's plan just because it's in the Bible. Don't run off and get another wife, okay? God's plan is one man, one woman, forever, lifelong commitment. That's God's plan. So you know, people were doing stuff they shouldn't have been doing, but the Bible wasn't written yet. Remember that. Joseph doesn't have Jeremiah 29, 11 on his mirror in the bathroom, right? He's not, he's not quoting these famous Bible verses. He, he really doesn't know what's going on. But what we're going to see here is God is beginning to speak with him. God's given him some dreams that are more than dreams. They, he knows they mean something, that God is giving them to him. The only other thing Joseph has are the stories that his, his dad has told him, and the stories his 
grandfather, Isaac, told him, and the stories about Abraham. That's all he has to go on, this young 17, privileged kid. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. So here's the story. Joseph's at home hanging out playing video games. His brothers are working out in the field. Hey, go see what the the boys are doing and come back and let me know. So he goes out and he brings a bad report of his brothers to his father. So how many of you have little brothers, little sisters? This is what they do. (laughs) You'll be minding your own business in your room. And they come in and they see you doing something. They, what do they do? They go tell mom, he's doing this or he, she's doing that. Little tattletale, 17-year-old tattletale. <laughs> Brothers, not a fan of this guy. Now, Israel, which is another name for Jacob. Remember, he got his name changed when he had that wrestling match with God. He limped the rest of his life. Uh, verse 3, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. Now, this is, a, this is an extravagant gift. We all know about the Technicolor dream coat of Joseph, right? There was no TJ Maxx. There was no Walmart or Target where you could buy, you know, these, uh, I was going to say these cool expensive clothes, but it's not really Walmart or, uh, but you get the gist. I mean, to take all these fabrics and to dye them in many colors and then put them together, this was an extravagant gift. And so Jacob not really being too smooth uh, as he shows this favoritism uh, for this one son, which makes his brothers hate him even more. And there's a lot of reasons the brothers hate him. Number one, he's a tattletale. Number two, he's dad's favorite. Uh, We're going to see in a second these dreams God gives him really turn his brothers against him. It's amazing that God does something good in your life and other people will hate you for it. Woo, no no amens there, okay. Verse four, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to them. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed and you gotta... Sometimes you just want to sit Joseph down and be like, buddy, come on. Be smarter. Be smarter than this. But he gets this dream. He's like, everybody, come hear this dream that I just had. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheave arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, right, they didn't need Sigmund Freud to come out and Help us understand this dream. No, they knew exactly what Joseph's dream uh, was communicating. So you're going to reign over us, they said? His brothers, are, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now listen closely. God did give Joseph this dream. And God does bring this dream to fruition It's just going to take some time and Joseph's going to have to experience some things in the meantime for God to perfectly position him where this dream can actually come to pass. And then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, I mean, you didn't learn the first time, Joseph. Keep your dreams to yourself. But he gets a second dream and he comes running out and you guys have got to hear this. Behold, I've dreamed another dream. The sun, the moon, the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Woo! 
But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father even, it's like, Joseph, I love you, buddy, but come on, be, be smarter. Uh, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So dad loves him and dad, dad wants to believe that God's going to do some great thing for his son. So he kind of held it close to his chest, but he still got rebuked. And all the brothers were jealous of this young favorite 17-year-old kid of his father's. So skip over now a little bit to, uh, let's start in verse 17. Because again, Jacob says, hey, go check on the boys, see where they're at. And guess what? They were supposed to be in this one field, and when Joseph got there, they weren't there. So Joseph's asking around because there was no cell phones in these days. So he's asking some of the, the neighboring uh, shepherds, hey, have you seen my brothers? And they, of course, they all knew one another in those days and age. They, yeah, we think we saw him going to Dothan. Now watch in verse 17. Yeah, they've gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now, here's the picture. Joseph's walking along, finally found his brothers, and he's, kind of, he's probably wringing his hands maybe. Oh, you guys are not where you're supposed to be. I can't wait to go home and tell dad. But not only is he going towards the brothers, the brothers see him coming from a long way off, and they're wringing their hands, and they're conniving at the same time. Joseph thinks, this is going to be great. I can't wait uh, to see how dad disciplines you this time. But the brothers, they're thinking a little something different. How are we going to get rid of this kid forever? Here he comes, that dreamer. Verse 18, they saw him from afar. Before he came to them, they conspired against him to kill him. His own brothers wanted to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And these pits were everywhere. They're empty cisterns. They're empty wells. Uh, yeah, again, no 24-pack of water from Publix in the ancient world. You needed water. You had to dig a hole and find it underground. And a lot of times those, those wells, after a couple of generations, would dry up. So there's empty cisterns all over that part of the world. So Joseph uh, is coming up on his brothers. Oh, you guys are not where you're supposed to be. And they grab him and they throw him in this pit. Now imagine you're Joseph. 17 years old, had everything handed to you, didn't have to work like the other brothers did, just the favorite son of this wealthy guy, and all of a sudden your own brothers throw you in a pit, and you hear them talking about killing you, taking your life. And they concoct this plan. A couple of the brothers, Reuben, uh, Dan, they're like, we can't kill him, he's our brother, but we have to get rid of him. So let's take his coat, we'll kill a goat, We'll put the blood all over the goat and we'll take it back to dad and, said, uh, and say he got, he got mauled by a wild animal. But in the meantime, we'll sell him. There's some traders coming. We can sell him to the traders and they'll take him to a far off place uh, and he'll be a slave for the rest of his life. So they take the coat, they do the thing. Uh, these brothers, and we're gonna, when we get to Genesis chapter 50, you're going to see this is evil. This is wicked what they're doing to their own brother. They sell him. Hey, we can get rid of this guy and make some money at the same time. This is a great plan. Hey, Dad, sorry about your uh, son. We found this in the field. And then the dad breaks down. I mean, wicked, wicked men to do this to their father, to make their father think he's lost a child. 
Parents shouldn't bury children. Children should bury parents. That's the way the normal course of life is supposed to work. Now this dad, Jacob, is wrecked. He thinks he's lost a son. And Joseph, his life has not gotten better. He finds himself sold. Look at, we're going to skip chapter 38. Funny little story in there about Onan on your free time. Enjoy that. Somebody knows what it's about. You would have all laughed if you would knew the Bible better. All right, chapter 39. Joseph finds himself in Egypt. Foreign place. He's never been there. They speak a different language. He's got to learn a new language. Everything is foreign. But now he finds himself in Egypt. And not only does he find himself there, but he's sold to the captain of Pharaoh's guard, Potiphar. Pharaoh's, Potiphar's an important man within the government of Egypt. He's a known man. He commands a lot of people. And he has a servant class in his house. And Joseph finds himself in that servant class. He's now from young, privileged, 17-year-old, good-looking kid to a slave. That's where Joseph finds himself, at the hands of his own brothers. Brent, you know, I was thinking about 2023 not being that great of a year for me, but I got nothing on Joseph. All right, this, this kid's got it bad. Chapter 39, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. And look at verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph. Now, the first time I really, you know, sometimes we just read the Bible really fast, but the first time I really thought about this, I kind of lifted my head up from my Bible and my immediate reaction is, no, he's not. How can God be with Joseph? Right? It's the same way we think. We, man, life has all kinds of ups and downs and lefts and rights. And sometimes you want to be here, but you find yourself over here and you don't know why. And it feels like God is mocking you from heaven as your prayers bounce off the ceiling and smack you uh, in the face. We've all been there when life throws us a curveball that we don't understand. But God has given us a Bible so we can be encouraged and know that even when things aren't going the way we want them to go, God has not abandoned us. God is not punishing us. No, God is as he is with Joseph. So he is with us. And sometimes we do. We want to scratch our heads and say, where are you? You're not here. But it's especially in those times. Doesn't look like God's with Joseph right now. But the Bible, God wants us to know that this really terrible, no good, nasty, bad thing has happened to Joseph, but it's not out of the purview of God's will. God knows exactly what he's doing, and the Lord is absolutely 100% with Joseph at this terrible moment in his life. The Lord was with Joseph. And, and if you read on down, Joseph, man, Potiphar notices the hand, you know, he's just one of those young men. You can see the hand of God on everything he does, works, and uh, he's doing a good job. Potiphar puts him in charge of his entire house. Look at verse uh, uh, 9, or verse 6, I mean. 
He left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about it. Potiphar doesn't have a care in the world because Joseph is taking care of everything about this house, Potiphar's house. And so when good things are happening, you can expect more good things to keep on coming, right? Verse 6 still. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. So for all you kids in the room, Potiphar's wife wants to go to the corner and tell stories with Joseph (laughs) that are not true. (laughs) For all the adults, you, you know better. You know exactly what's happening here. And look what Joseph says. And and young men in the room, Joseph is a great example of what you should do if you find yourself in a place of temptation. You shouldn't stick around and say, I can probably handle this. Let's see where it goes. You should run away like Joseph did. Joseph says, how can I do this great? Again, he doesn't have a Bible. He's just heard the stories from great-grandfather and grandfather and father about how God has spoken to them and God has a purpose and a plan and God has given them, uh, uh, God has given them a land, a place to, to live and survive. And God is making a people out of them. That's all he knows. And Joseph knows it's wrong. Potiphar has trusted him with his entire house. He tells her. Everything is under my charge, but there's one thing that I shouldn't be in charge of, and that's you. You're his wife. How can I do? Let's read together verse, uh, the end of verse 9. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph knows that's a sin he'd be committing, not just with, against Potiphar, not just against this woman, but against God himself. He knows because God has written wrong and right in our hearts. We know that we know that we know it's the thumbprint of God on our lives. And so Joseph does the right thing. And everything immediately gets better. Aaron, I love you. (laughs) Of course, we have a thousand trillion movies about a woman scorned. Right, there is, when a woman is rejected and has felt scorn, we have have a saying, hell hath no fury. She's rejected and she is angry and she turns this whole thing. Joseph does the right thing and so she turns everything around on him. As he runs away to, to abstain from the temptation that is before him, she's got his coat and she says, hey, That little Hebrew kid you brought in here that you bought from the Ishmaelites, well, he tried to lie with me. He wanted to tell stories in the corner with me. And what does Potiphar do? Potiphar does what any man is going to do in this situation. Look at verse 19. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master, Potiphar, grabs Joseph by the nap of the neck and drags him down to the the city jail where he throws him in with all the other prisoners. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. So 
Joseph's keeping the faith. Joseph's making the right decisions. Joseph's doing exactly what he needs to be doing. And his life is not getting better. In fact, it's getting worse. But look at this next little verse. It's right here again. A second time because God wants us to know that we can trust him even in the midst of severe trials. 17, young, good looking, got everything going from him. Boom, in a pit. Boom, a slave. Boom, light against. Boom, now finds himself in prison. And verse 21 says, but the Lord was with Joseph. And I'll never forget the, the minute I realized that it said it twice. I just kind of, no, he's not. If you're Joseph, I'm put yourself in this position. If you're Joseph, you might be tempted to pray a prayer that sounds something like this. Hey, Lord, I really appreciate you being with me. But could you go be with my brothers for a little while? <laughs> because things are not looking good. Things are, are not getting better. These dreams that you gave me when I was 17 years old, they, they don't seem to be coming to pass. And listen, while, while Joseph gets thrown in this prison, he meets two people, a cupbearer and a baker. They had both worked for the Pharaoh himself, and they both had dreams. And Joseph says, I know a little something about dreams and, and interpreting dreams. Let, let me hear your dreams. And so the baker's like, oh, here's my dream. What does it mean? And Joseph's like, man, bad news. Three days, you're going to be dead. Sorry. But the cupbearer's dream he says, hey, in three days, you're going to go back in service of the Pharaoh. He's going to bring you back, and you're going to be his cupbearer. In the ancient world, especially if you were a person of privilege or power, uh, you had someone taste your wine for you to make sure nobody was poisoning you to get, to get you out of the way or to steal uh, whatever it is that belonged to you. Cupbearer is a very important job. Talk about someone who has the ear of the Pharaoh. Joseph knows this. He's like, please tell the Pharaoh about me. I'm, this is unjust. I didn't do anything wrong. I shouldn't be in here. And guess what the cupbearer does? Look uh, at uh, chapter 41. Uh, chapter 40 in verse 23. And the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Chapter 41 verse 1 says, he was in there two more years. Because the cupbearer forgot about him. Now here's what we know. 17 years old, young Joseph. By the time he stands before Pharaoh, which we will get to uh, in chapter, uh, chapter 41, around verse 37, we'll read that. Look at, uh, look at verse 48. Joseph was 30 years old when he finally got an audience with the Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the Egyptian world. From 17 to 30, he was either uh, a slave or unjustly imprisoned. 13 years is, it's not just a bad 2023. I hope 2024 is a little better. 13 years of not being able to understand what in the world God is doing in my life. 13 years is a long time to be a slave or to be a prisoner, amen? But 13 years is what it took for God to perfectly position Joseph to be in front of the most powerful man on the planet at this time. 
Every dreamer needs a pharaoh. Every dreamer needs someone who has the resources to make dreams uh, come about uh, and into, to bring them into being. God knew that Joseph was going to have to endure some trials and some tragedies uh, to be able to get him in front of Pharaoh. And in front of Pharaoh, he comes at 30 years old. Because guess what? God knows what he's doing. And Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh says, man, uh, this dream is, is, is shaking me up. I don't know what it means. And then the cupbearer's like, oh, there's this guy in jail. I know this guy named Joseph. Forgot all about him for the last couple of years, but, but I know somebody that can help you. And Pharaoh's like, please bring this guy out. So they take Joseph from prison and they clean him up so he can be presentable unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's like, I got this dream about some cows or some, there's some fat cows and there's some skinny cows. And can, can you help me out? And Joseph launches in by God's grace. God gives, God tells Joseph exactly what it means. He's like, I, I can interpret your dream. There's going to be seven years of plenty. The crops are going to grow. Everything is going to be great. We need to build. He just lays out this, this fiscal plan for the entire government of Egypt. He's like, we got to make, uh, we got to build some new barns because these seven years are going to be so good. We're going to store up all the, the, the food in barns because there's going to be seven years of famine that come after the seven years of plenty. So we're going to have to, we're going to have to do really good work in these seven good years so we'll be able to be sustained in the lean years. And this is what Pharaoh does. And I love this. Look at uh, verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Now, okay. Think about this for a minute. You're Pharaoh. You're on a throne. You got all your guys whose families for generations have served your family. That's the way things worked in Egypt. It was, it was a generational job to be an advisor to the king. So, so Pharaoh is sitting on his throne and Jafar is over here. Right? All, 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 all his advisors. And Pharaoh's like, man. This kid from prison, he's an awesome dude. I think I'm going to put him in charge of everything. And again, the conciliaries, the advisors to the king are like, oh, well, hey, my family's only been serving you for 420 years. Why not choose the guy that came straight from prison? Right? I mean, that's how crazy this story is. But God is into crazy things, amen? God knows how he wants to use us, and God does use his people. He's going to save Jacob, right? Because not only does Joseph do such a good job, he fills those barns up. Not only is Egypt saved from the famine, but all the surrounding areas are also, all the surrounding nations didn't have food either. The famine was wide stretched. And so all the other nations came to Egypt. And Egypt, because of what God did through Joseph, had enough food not only to save Egypt, but to save all the other nations at that time as well. 
God, no, we don't understand what God is doing sometimes. But God has never uh, questioned himself. He knows what he's doing at all times. And everything he's working out for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. He is the only good king, amen? Why shouldn't Joseph, this kid from uh, prison, be the second most powerful person now in all of Egypt? Because God had positioned him 13 years, slavery and in prison. But now Joseph's eyes, he finally sees, oh, right? The light bulb goes off. This is why. Turn with me now to, okay, so turn to chapter 46. But in the meantime, there's some things that are happening. Because Joseph's brothers were starving. Jacob and his sons, they weren't going to make it. So the brothers that put Joseph in the pit in the first place go are sent to Egypt to buy food. And Joseph, they don't recognize Joseph. He's the second most powerful person in Egypt. He's got new clothes. He's got a, a new language. There's an interpreter there. They don't understand that Joseph can hear everything they're saying. It's, it's quite an awesome story if you go in and read it. Because they go in and Joseph recognizes them immediately. And he's messing with them because that's just why wouldn't you do that? And he's like, hey, he wants to see his younger brother, Benjamin. He's like, don't you guys have a younger brother? You need to go back. And, right, and there's all this, all this trickery, and they have no idea who Joseph is. But Joseph hears them talking, man, this is all happening because of what we did to Joseph. He's just, he's just smiling. So they have to go. They have to tell their dad, hey, we all have to go to Egypt. This guy wants to see uh, all of us. Jacob doesn't know what to do. Look at chapter 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now here's what you need to know about Beersheba. This is where Abraham worshiped God. Isaac watched his dad, Abraham, worshiped God there. So Isaac worshiped here in Bathsheba. Now Jacob, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't want to go to Egypt. All this sounds fishy. Something weird is going on. So what does Jacob do? He, he does what he saw his father do. He does what uh, he heard his grandfather did. And he goes to the same place to worship God. And this is so important. Moms and dads, listen to me. There's, man, we've got, we have a Bible, right? And we should be teaching the Bible to our children, but some things are better caught than they are taught. I told the story in first service and it ministered to some people, so I want to I share it with you. I hadn't thought about this in a while, but, but I was such a punk kid. Man, I was the worst. You remember back in those early 90s days, Nirvana and you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit, woo, Pearl Jam. I was just a uh, terrible to my parents every night I would come home three four o'clock in the morning I'm stumbling in my mom was always in the same place every time we had this one chair she had her face buried in this chair every time I walked in and she would hear me come in and she's she praying listen to me I tell people this all the time 
I don't have a Bible verse for it, but here's what I know. My mom prayed me into the kingdom of God. She'd hear me come in. She'd, she'd pick her face up and just, you know, just, just devastated, wet, everywhere. She'd been there for hours. God, bring my boy home. Give him one more chance. Give him one more day. And she'd hear me come in, and it got to the point, I was such a jerk kid. It got to the point where they didn't even try to talk to me. I just, but she'd hear me come in, and she'd get up, she'd finish praying, and she'd just walk to her room because at least she knew I was home and I was safe. Man, that did something to me as a young man. And, and I know what to do when I don't know what to do. I bury my face in something, and I pray, and I ask God because I know he answers prayers because he answered my mom's prayers. And this is what Jacob's doing. It's what he saw his dad do. It's what he saw his grandfather do. And it's all he knows. Sometimes we just don't know what to do. So you can catch values of seeking the Lord, man. You let your kids see you pray. Let your kids see you worship. They catch that stuff. And thank God we have a Bible too. <laughs> Unlike Joseph, Abraham, and Isaac. All right, turn to chapter 50. Let's finish this up. Because we all know the end of the story. The brothers realize who Joseph is and, and they're scared to death because he's going you know, to exact his revenge on us. By the way, the end of chapter 50, Joseph is 110 years old. So 13 years, man, from 17 to 30 were really bad years. But the Lord was with Joseph and he's been in leadership in Egypt for decades and decades and decades at this point. And his brothers come to him. Look at verse 15, chapter 50. Because eventually, you know, Jacob, all the brothers, they come to Egypt. They're saved from the famine and they know who Joseph is. And Joseph treats them like royalty because Joseph is royalty. But then Jacob dies. And the brothers are like, okay, here we go. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Point number one, the brothers knew they did evil to Joseph. It was evil. It was wicked what they did to Joseph. But when their dad dies, they're like, oh, man, you know, Joseph was probably just being nice to us because of dad. Now that dad's gone, we're in for it. So here's what they do. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the trans transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Aren't these brothers, man, aren't they just turds? Hey, dad's dead, but we were all there when he passed and he had this one last message to give to you from, from him. Continue to be good to your brothers. <laughs> forgive them of their sin. And his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? And Joseph's in a place of incredible, great authority at this time. But again, that character that we saw when he's running away from Potiphar's wife has only grown. God has used 
and shared authority with Joseph that, that, that he has done well with. And as a result, lots of other people, not only is he blessed, lots of other people are blessed. Joseph doesn't have the revenge instinct in his body. He says, I'm not God. Why are you guys scared of something that I would do? Let me tell you what I learned in my time as a, as a, a slave and as a prisoner. And now what I continue to learn is I govern all of Egypt. As for you, you did mean evil against me. You absolutely, you tried to kill me. You tried to ruin my life. You tried to take my life. That's what evil people do. God has changed me. And I'm not going to be evil in return because even the evil that you meant, and it was evil. It wasn't just some bad decisions. The evil that you meant to hurt me with, God meant it for good. You meant for evil, but God meant it for good. Does God make people sin? Nope. But God can sure use sinners to bring his purposes about for his people that he wants to see blessed. Amen? That's what God does. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God used it for good. And here we are in this place saved from the famine because of all that has transpired. Now, skip down to verse 24. Here's where we're going to end. Again, Joseph doesn't, he doesn't, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He doesn't have those verses. All he's seen is the faith of his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather. And it's the faith that he takes with him to the grave. Joseph's dying at 110 years old here. And all the family is gathered around him. And here's what he says. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph doesn't have a Bible, but he knows. He's heard the stories over and over and over about how God spoke to great-granddad Abraham. God spoke to Isaac. God spoke to my father, Jacob, about this land that he was going to bring us to. And Joseph's faith in what God was going to do. Look, we have this awesome vantage point. We get to see after Jesus Christ has come. But these guys, all they had was faith that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. That's all they took with them. And it was that faith and believing God uh, that he would get them to a land. They would have an inheritance and eventually there would be a savior born from the, the loins of Abraham, from this people that God had raised up that would save all people from their sins. His name was Jesus. God becomes flesh, dwells among us, lives the perfect life we have not, dies in our place for our sin. All Joseph has is faith at this moment, but look at this faith. Look at this faith. He says, I'm dying here in Egypt. And Egypt's not the place God said he was given to us. And I believe that God is going to give the land like he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when he does, look, I'm going to die and they're going to bury me in Egypt. They're going to... I'm going to, you know, they're going to put me in a sarcophagi, right? They're, they're going to bury me the way that Egyptians are buried. But this is not my home. God's going to keep his promise. And when he does, 
I'm about to die. But then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And so Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put into a coffin in Egypt. Listen, the whole 2024 clean slate, what would it look like for if every morning, in spite of what the day brought, maybe the day brings enslavement, maybe the day brings imprisonment. There's a lot of crazy bad things out there in this world. And none of us are promised everything. In fact, the exact opposite Jesus promised in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What if every day in 2024, you got out of bed and your feet hit the floor and you had confidence and faith that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do? That kind of faith, I think, would shake up some cities, amen? I think that kind of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he saved us from our sins, man. We are redeemed, made right people. How can we not, with this great gift we've been given, how can we not hit the, the ground with faith and confidence every day that God, in spite of, what did they say about me? What's going on over here? Who passed away in the family? In spite of anything and everything that's going on, complete and total faith that God has a plan and a purpose and the breath he's put in our bodies are to glorify him in every situation, in every moment, even when we don't understand those moments. As the Lord was with Joseph, so is the Lord with us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for encouraging us this last Sunday of 2023. Lord Jesus, and may our faith in you increase and grow as we leave this place today and step into 2024, may we truly serve you and make your name great. It's in Jesus' name every Christian said, amen.